Father, we just thank you for the amazing love that you have for each one of us in our Lord Jesus. As we reflect upon your word this morning, by your spirit, speak into our hearts, into our minds. Help us to hear and to understand what you might be saying to each one of us. And above all, help us to be obedient to the things that you are calling us to do. For we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing to reflect on Matthew's gospel. Uh, Last week, Tony explained how we are exempt children of God. As exempt children, we are not to be stumbling blocks to others. Today, we are going to consider how we in life should be responding to the forgiveness our Lord Jesus has granted to each one of us. It's important to remember We have all been forgiven by Jesus for a purpose. Yes, to be members of his coming kingdom, but until that time, we are meant to live our daily lives in a way that displays to others the ways of Jesus. No matter where we are or what situation we are in, especially in our church fellowship, we need to know and understand that we are all ambassadors of Jesus. We are to represent and reflect Jesus in all that we say and all that we do, no matter where we are or the situation that we might find ourselves in. To do this, we're going to have to apply discipline into the lives that we live. The Bible tells us that the word of our Lord is powerful and effective. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. The Lord's word is meant to penetrate deep down into our hearts. It's meant to change the way we live. We are meant now to live in ways that display the forgiveness we have received. Ways that will encourage others to want what we have. Instead of living in worldly ways, we are to live in godly ways in this world in which we live. We are meant to see others as God sees them. And when someone needs help, we are meant to help and support them in a way that will honor our Lord Jesus. In this reading today, Jesus has told his disciples they are to be humble in their lives. They are to resist temptation to sin, and they are to go about looking for the lost sheep of his kingdom. Our Lord Jesus still expects his followers today to do exactly the same. But Jesus points out that issues will arise when this is done. The way in which we get on with one another, as well as some who are not yet members of God's family, are not going to be without problem. Today we are going to think about the importance of forgiveness. Not just toward those who do not yet know Jesus, but to those who do know him and are members of his family. 
Jesus expects his followers, who are his ambassadors, to live in harmony. Sadly, what Jesus outlines here is not always what we do. If someone wrongs us in some way, we often do the opposite to what Jesus is asking of us. We turn away in anger. We turn away in resentment. We engage in gossip. And sometimes we even go as far as to seek revenge. What are we meant to do in difficult situations? I think we see in this passage that Jesus suggests, firstly, we are to seek in a controlled way the way to exercise forgiveness. In verses 15 and 16, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. This applies to sisters as well as brothers. If he will not listen, take one or two others with you so that every matter may be established by two or three witnesses. One of the greatest issues in society today, even in the church, is the way in which we deal with problems in relationships. How many of us firstly tell others about the problems before we tell the person who has created the problem themselves? You know, when we go around telling others before the person themselves, we are in danger of opening up a Pandora's box and all sorts of things come flowing from it. Jesus gives us three possible and positive steps to deal with the process that has arisen and to reconcile it in his way. He says the first step is to go to the person themselves. We will then allow that person concerned the opportunity to explain or correct what they may have said or done. It's only when they refuse to respond that we take that second step. Then we go along with one or two other trustworthy people to help resolve the situation. But those that we approach must be people we know well and people we trust to not gossip what is happening around. The aim of Jesus and our aim should always be to encourage the person who might have created an issue to settle that matter privately and be reconciled. A great deal of gossip and heartache can be avoided when we do what Jesus is suggesting here. It's only if and when the other party refuses to listen that a third step is taken and the matter is brought before the church. If they ignore the decision of the church, then it brings into question the sincerity of their faith. The process we see outlined by Jesus is to help people recognize their mistake, to repent and to be restored and to be reconciled. This is a controlled and God-given process. 
And the aim of it is to bring forgiveness and not judgment. To deal with matters in this way is the way we honor our king. In verse 20, Jesus went on to say, where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Whenever it becomes necessary to bring an issue into the church, the process we have mentioned here is one that really should be followed. And we will know that Jesus has been involved in arriving at the decision that is ultimately made. Let's trust and pray that we never get into a situation like this, but in all reality, situations like this do occur. But our aim must always be to honor Jesus in the way that we seek to resolve any issue. We are to show love, mercy, and forgiveness. And that is the way in which we should resolve differences. And this is something that we should not just involve in the church. It's a great policy in our everyday lives, with our husbands, our wives, with our family members, with our friends, with our work colleagues. When situations arise, this is the way we are to deal with them. Secondly, I think we see Jesus tells us that forgiveness is without limit. And Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven. And Peter's a marvelous character. I, love, I think Peter's great. He's never frightened to ask Jesus a question when he's not clear about what Jesus is saying. When Peter asks Jesus if he should forgive someone up to seven times, Peter thinks he was being generous. He was going over and above what the Pharisees had decided was acceptable. They said three times was sufficient. So Peter's chosen seven. I don't know why he chose seven. Maybe it was because he wanted to be generous, because maybe it was because then a number seven at that time was com considered to be something of completeness. Whatever the reason, the answer that Jesus gave 70 times seven would have stunned Peter, and it would have stunned everybody else that might have been listening. Jesus wants them, and he wants us to realize that there is no limit to the number of times that they and we must forgive. We are not to keep a scorecard on the number of times that we forgive. We are called to forgive without condition. And when someone sincerely seeks forgiveness from us, we are meant to give it. They may not be deserving of it sometimes, but we must always remember we are not deserving of God's forgiveness, but he gives it. And we are to do the same. To actually forgive someone at times is not easy. It can be extremely hard. 
But can I say, it's a choice we have to make because our Lord Jesus wants us to make it. It should never be an emotional choice. It must be a decision that we make to forgive. And then we are not to hold any offense against the one we are forgiving. Forgiveness does cost. Because sometimes we might be the innocent party. But we must always remember this is what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And he's also done it for every other believer and everyone else in this world, especially those who come to him. When Jesus forgives, he wipes the slate completely clean. He no longer keeps a record of the offenses of others, and we must learn to do the same. We must not keep records of the offenses others might have committed against us. Jesus simply wants us to forgive, and that's what we should do. We may also, we can sometimes, when we do this, resolve even the most difficult of situations. Many reject the forgiveness of Jesus. Some may reject the forgiveness that we offer, but that is their decision. We must not allow their decisions to hinder us from moving on when we have sought their forgiveness. We have done what Jesus asks of us. They, not we, will be held account for their action when we have done all in our power to actually seek reconciliation. So forgiveness is ongoing, it's without limit. Thirdly, I think we see in this passage the danger of unforgiveness. When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison and he, until he could pay the debt. This servant had been forgiven by the king. He'd been forgiven a substantial debt. In today's figures, we're probably talking about millions. And yet, he's forgiven and he's set free. This man should be rejoicing by what has happened. His heart should be full of thankfulness. But what are we seeing? He goes out to his fellow servant who owes him just a few thousand. Trivia in comparison to the millions that he owed. And what does he do? He takes hold of him around the throat, demands instant payment of his debt. The amount he owed was significant, but in relation to the debt the other had owed the king, it was small. This servant begged for mercy, but none was given. He was thrown into prison until the debt was paid. And that would have possibly been an impossible task. The other servants who witnessed 
are appalled. They are distressed by what they see. They go to tell the king what has happened. The king is so angry when he hears about this. He calls his servant back in and he sends him back to prison because of his unwillingness to forgive the other servant. The king also then decides not to forgive his debt. He is now going to be imprisoned and tortured until he has paid every single penny. Effectively, this means he has had a life sentence. And it'll end when his life ended in this world. There is no future for him. His life, in essence, is finished. We can view this picture of prison and torture as a picture of hell itself. A place where confined imprisonment and torture is never, ever going away. It's certainly a place I don't want to go, and I'm sure it's a place that none of us would want to go. So as forgiven sinners, how are we going about our everyday lives? Are we grateful? Are we kind? Are we compassionate to others? Are we serving our Lord and others with grateful, thankful, forgiving hearts? Because that is what our Lord Jesus expects and wants of us. Our King is our Heavenly Father, and He is judge of all. This parable helps us to see the responsibility of the church and we as its members carry. We are to deal with everything and with everybody in our life in a true and righteous manner. If we are not, we are in dangerous territory. Jesus finishes this parable by, by telling us how important it is for us, both individually and corporately as his church, to always deal with each other and others in a righteous way. What's right for us, but what's right for them, but especially what's right for Jesus himself. We must adopt a willingness to forgive and to support, not to persecute and destroy even when a difficult situation arises. And we do what we do in a spirit of love, a spirit of joy, a spirit of peace, a spirit of love and forgiveness with each other, remembering that we too have been loved and forgiven that way by our Lord Jesus himself. There is nothing more harmful to a Christian church fellowship than division. We, as members of God's church, should be doing all we are able to leave no stone unturned, no issue ignored, to ensure we keep living in fellowship together. And our preparedness to forgive one another is the unlocking key. 
Dwight Moody made a very telling statement when he said, the voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. One servant forfeited the king's pardon by failing to appreciate the mercy the king had shown him. We can shut ourselves out of the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection with the selfish and merciless spirit by ignoring the teachings and ways of Jesus, by just taking for granted the sacrifice that Jesus made for us to bring us forgiveness, by failing to share God's love, mercy, and forgiveness in our way of living with others. Division in churches is often caused by unforgiveness. We must remember, one day, each one of us is going to stand before Christ himself. All things, even the things unseen, are going to be laid bare before him. Our king's forgiveness is a priceless treasure and it's been given to each one of us. And it's not just for ourselves. It's a treasure that we are to share around with others. Are we willing to do this? Are we a church that willingly does this? I trust and pray we will personally and I trust and pray that corporately as a church we will. Because one day, all is going to be revealed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do rejoice in the forgiveness that you have granted to each one of us and to all who will believe and trust in Jesus, your Son. By the empowering of your Holy Spirit, enable us to be forgiving toward those who in some way might upset or anger us. May we act always in every situation we encounter in life in ways that truly do bring honor to you. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to share your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness with all who cross our path. For we pray and ask this in the name of Jesus and for his name's sake. Amen.